officially to Tiny Talks Radio again this week here and and Monday nights at 8.30 p.m. with the call in line of 520-453-8302. We are hosted by Sheer Enjoyment and powered by Radio.com. Our email, if you want to get on the air, is SheerEnjoymentRadio at gmail.com. So we're talking some topics for the week with the audience members to keep. So when we think about this week's topic, we're looking at the idea of keep us. So we want to talk about why do we cover our head? It's fascinating. Oftentimes I'm walking around at work. I work for the city as an occupational therapist, pediatric. Oftentimes I'm wearing it and people wonder what's on my head. Is it something to, to cover a bald spot? Is it something to, to cover an unsightly blemish? God forbid. Is there some reason why we wear this? Of course there's a reason. It's best to know why we have this reason. But before we do that, we want to remind you that we're working on the app for iPhone and Android. We're working on connecting with another company as well to broadcast the message. We remind you that we're powered, we're hosted by Sheer Enjoyment, which is a wonderful website with wonderful quality content from quality rebundant hosts. And we're powered by Radio.co, an amazing way to get on the internet radio. All of my podcasts on the Tiny Talks podcast, besides for the Tiny Talks radio show, the show, the TTP, TTPA, the TTD, TTOT, and TTL, say that 10 times fast, are on different podcast forums, including iTunes, Google, and Yidpod, the Jewish podcast app service. If you want to make a podcast, please reach out to me. I'd be happy to help you with our parent company of Jewish podcasts. The Sheer and the show should be for the Refuah Lema and Yeshua of anyone who wants or anyone who needs. You want to get on the air? Feel free to email us at sheerenjoymentradio at gmail.com. Sheerenjoymentradio at gmail.com. Email us to come on after this year. Talk about any point that connected with you, that appealed to you, that applies to you. 520-453-8302. I often wonder, and I'm wondering if you ever wonder as well, why do we wear a kippah? As men, where does it come from? Why do we do it? What is it in relation to, and what does it represent? Oftentimes, I'm asked about the kippah, like I mentioned before. You see, I wear a kippah at work. I wear it to work on purpose. Do you? Keep it in mind if you want to weigh in on anything I talk about when you email us, God willing, at Sheer Enjoyment Radio at Gmail, and when you call into 520-453-8302. But make sure to mute yourself if you're on the call line until we call on you, God willing. So when I travel to work, I wear a hat when I'm going about trying to get to the school, trying to get to the site, because I want it to be that I don't wear it outside. But when I go to the actual school, when I go in the actual site, I take off the hat, and I want it to be that I'm actually wearing the kippah. And people see that I'm wearing the kippah, that I'm involved, and they know that we're Jewish and we're representing something. So I travel wearing the hat. So to remain anonymous, people don't have to know my business on the train, on the bus, whatever, in the Uber. But when I go to this school, I wear it because it's representing something we'll talk about it. Because we have a lot of different sources to talk about to see what it represents, what it is in relation to. And if you have a funny story, you have an interesting story in relation to your keeper, I want to hear it. Send us an email at sheorenjoymentradio at gmail.com. Sheorenjoymentradio at gmail.com. We want to hear it. So send us a message. We can get you on the air to our call line, our sheer line, 520-453-8302. The first source that I want to bring to you is from Kedushim, Lamed Aleph, Ahmed Aleph. So Kedushim 31a. With regard to an issue, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi says it is prohibited, it is asur, asur, for a person to walk even four cubits, even four amos with an upright posture, with a koma zakufa, basically, a koma aruch, which is considered an arrogant manner. It's considered gaiva. As it is stated, the entire world is full of his glory. The whole world is full of his, his hod, his glory. One who walks in an arrogant manner indicates a lack of regard for the glory and honor of God that is surrounding him and thereby chases God from that place as it were. The Gemara relates of Huna, son of Rabbi Yeshua, would not walk four cubits, would not walk Daladamos even with an uncovered head. So why is that? We have this idea, the Gemara points out, you're not even supposed to go four Amos without covering your head. Because there must be something involved that you need something on your head. You need something on top of you to remind you of something. You can't go even four Amos. Keep that in mind as we go ahead. Mishnah Torah points out, the Rambam himself, Maimonides, points out in Tefillah and the Kohanic blessing and the Birkas Kohanim, 
adjustment of the dress before beginning a service, before beginning its field, the dress should first be adjusted. The personal appearance may trim and neat. As it says in Tehillim, having serving Hashem in a beautiful way, in a holy way, one should not stand in prayer wearing a money belt, nor bareheaded. You need to have something on your head, nor barefoot. You really should have something on your feet as well. Where the local custom is not to stand in the presence of the great without shoes, one should not pray anywhere, holding tefillin in his hand or carrying a scroll of the law or carrying a Torah skull, for the mind would then be preoccupied with those sacred things. When we're walking around, when we're going about our business, when we're going about our day, we need to keep in mind that we need something on our head to remind us of something above. We need something on our top of our person to keep us cognizant, to keep us mindful of Hashem above, of the of the creator of the world above us. The Gemara and Shabbos, 118b, Kuf Yudachet Amad Bet, Rav Nachman said, May I receive my reward because I fulfilled the obligation to eat three meals on Shabbat, to eat three meals on Shabbos, not only in general, but magnificently, eating it in a grandiose way, eating it with grandeur, eating in such a way that we could actually have it that we eat in such a magnificent way. Rav Yehuda said, May I receive my reward because I fulfilled the obligation of consideration during prayer. So one person should get reward because he ate the three meals on Shabbos. How often do all of us try to eat those three meals? And do we eat them in a great way, in a grand way, or do we eat them in a, a little bit of a pity way, in a little bit of a sad way? Go magnificent. Go big or go home. Make sure to fulfill that obligation in a great way. And Rav Yehuda is talking about fulfilling the obligation of prayer. But Rav Huna, son of Rav Yehoshua, said, May I receive my reward, my schar, because I never walked four cubits. I didn't even walk Amos with my head uncovered. My head was always covered. Rav Shesha said, May I receive my reward, because I fulfill the mitzvah of tefillin magnificently. So on the same level of doing shalashudas, on the same level of tefillah in the right way, on the same level of wearing tefillin, is this idea, according to the Gemara, according to the sages, of getting great reward for going without four amos, without a galay rosh, without having your, your head uncovered. Because it is so important, it is so imperative to be involved in having your head covered. It is so imperative, so imperative to make sure that you have something on top of your head. Again, any talking points that we talk about in the lecture for this part of the radio show on these weeks, these bi-weekly things that we do, feel free to write it down, to think about it, and to take note, and then you could send a note to us after. You could email us during the show. Also, radio at gmail.com. You could get on the call in line, 520-453-8302. Wait for the prompts, and then you could talk live with us also. Don't forget to mute yourself upon entry. So on the same level of Shabbos and Tefillah, and Tefillah is the making sure to have your Kisoi Rosh to cover your head. Keep that in mind. The Gemara Shabbos also says in 156b, and from that which transpired to Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, as well it can be derived, there is no constellation for the Jewish people. As Chaldean astrologers told Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak's mother, your son will be a thief. She did not allow him to uncover his head. She felt like it was a real zachus, a real merit for his whole life to have his head covered because it was so imperative, so important. She said to her son, cover your head so that the fear of heaven, Yirat Shemayim, will be upon you and pray for divine mercy. She was so worried about the people telling her that she'll be a thief. She was so worried that this would happen that she told him to cover his head. Cover your head, son. Cover your head. So that the Yirat Shemayim will be on your head and on your heart and in your life. Keep that keeper on. Keep yourself with Kisoi Rosh to make sure you're a real godly man with the real Yirat Shemayim. The Rambam points out in Mishnah Torah and human dispositions, the disciples of the wise conduct themselves with an abundance of privacy. They should not degrade themselves. They should not uncover their heads and not their bodies. Even when entering a bathroom, you should act decently. Make sure to act in a proper way and remove himself from other aspects and make sure that there's cleanliness involved and make sure to be seen in the right way. 
same idea that you have to go about the right way with the Kisarosh, with not uncovering your head, making sure your head is covered, understanding to have the fear of heaven, to have the Yerat Shemayim above you, so that you know that Hashem is above you. The Shulchan Aruch points out in Orachayim, there are those who say it is even forbidden, it is even asur, asur, if you're like my son in his school, the way he enunciates the different syllables, 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 to mention Hashem's name with an uncovered head. It is forbidden to mention Hashem's name with an uncovered head. Make sure to cover that head. There are those who say that one should object that people should not enter the synagogue, they should not enter the base Knesset with an uncovered head. Why? Because you're coming to an area, you're coming to an aspect, you're coming to a place that's holy. It has Kedusha. So act accordingly and behave accordingly. Make sure your head is Kadosh. Make sure your head is sanctified. How do you sanctify your head? How do you make yourself that you have the sanctification in mind, you have something to wear on your head. You cover your head out of respect for cognizance for Hashem above you to make sure you have that head covering. And that head covering, of course, is the kippah, is the yamaka. Shulchan Aruch also points out in Orachim, it is forbidden to walk in an overly upright posture and one should not walk that four amos, that dalit amos with the head uncovered out of respect for the divine presence, out of respect for Hashem. One should examine oneself to make sure they are clean. The Ramah says one should cover his entire body and should not go barefoot or zarua. A person should go and make sure that they're going about the right way, that they're going about their life, that they have the covering, they have the head covering. I'd like to hear a story from you after we finish the sources and the stories of a time you went to work or you were traveling and you didn't have the proper head covering. What head covering did you use instead? Let me know at sheerenjoymentradio at gmail.com. We can get you on the show 520-453-8302. Tell me the craziest head covering you've ever had. I didn't have a hat one time. I didn't have a kippah one time. I put on this fakakta type of a head covering. It looked like I, I was in Vermont going skiing when it was really 75 degrees outside in the middle of the spring. We need to have that head covering. Sometimes it might be a silly head covering. Sometimes it might be a head covering that doesn't look right in that type of weather, in that type of situation, but a head covering is a head covering, whatever type it may be. The Chuvot Maharshal points out, I know of no prohibition against reciting a blessing without wearing a head covering, yet it was obvious to the Maharai, Rav Yisrael Israelin, and again the sources are from safari.org, the wonderful website where we get most of our sources most times. So the Maharai says it is, that he says it's obvious that it's forbidden to invoke Hashem's name without the head covered. And I do not know whence he infers that. Now I have found that it is written in tractates so for him that there is a dispute. A shabby person, a shabby person, whose knees are visible or whose clothing is torn or one whose head is uncovered may lead the prayers, may, may be a shalich sibor pori shema, but some say that one may lead with knees showing or torn clothes, but not with an uncovered head. So you get that? You hear that? You can literally show up. You can literally come where there is rips in your clothing. There's There are stains all over your clothing. You could be like a painter where you have thousands of paint drops on you. You could have clothing where it's ripped. You pretend you're at, at a hard rock concert from 1972. You could show up with the craziest thing. But if And you could even lead the tzibur. You could lead the congregation. But if someone has their head uncovered, if someone doesn't wear their kippah, they cannot Lead the tzibor. They cannot be shalech tzibor. Fascinating. You could even, according to one aspect, you could show up with a knee showing, wearing shorts, but not with an uncovered head. Because it is so important. It is so important to make sure that you have your head covered, that you have your kippah on your rosh, that you have your kisoy rosh, according to the Chuba Maharshal. And the Chuba Marshal also points out, it seems reasonable that even one who wishes to recite a blessing over consumption, like Birchas HaSanehen, and like Baruch HaTashem, at night when he has no hat on, or in the bathroom, it's sufficient for him to cover with his head with his hands. Even though one major authority has recorded that this is forbidden, a Rav Israel incites him. Their proof is that Rabbeinu Tam, 
when he was in water and would drink would cover himself with the garment over in place of his heart, not with his hands. But this is no proof. The idea bearing, even when you're in this sort of a situation, in this sort of a external appearance, what can you put on your head? So if my kippah is missing and I need to go downstairs, sometimes when I want to cover my head, when I need to cover my head, I gotta move those four almost. What do I do? I'll take one of the kids' kippahs. I'll take even a towel if I have a shmata, if it's lying around, whatever. Something to have a head covering, as the Chuba Marshal points out, because it is so important to have that head covered, to remember that there is Yerat Shemaim above you, that Hashem is above you. So even if your kippah is missing, which has happened to me many, many times, and if it's happened to you too, please let me know in agreeance, in in tandem with me that you had this happen to you too. I don't know how it happens. Must have bought so many keepout over the year. I personally wear the, the black one now that's kind of like the Israeli one. It's flat on the roche on the head. But I must have bought, bought maybe four or five or six over the years because they keep missing. It's like the socks in the laundry. Somehow the socks are always missing. I put in 20 socks. I come out with seven. Where are they? They're not in the machine. They're not on the floor. They're not next to it. They just disappear. Anyone who does laundry knows what I'm talking about. They just disappear. The keeper also sometimes just disappears. I don't know where it goes. It just disappears. So I might have to put a shmata or a towel on my head. I might have to borrow one of the kids' keepers, one of those iKeepers. iKeeper.com or iKeepers.com. Excellent, excellent website. I don't know the official website, and I don't get a percentage for this, but they have great keepers, and I use them sometimes if I have to. And sometimes I'll pretend that I'm like Aladdin with that big head covering. So I put that on and we pretend and it's all fun and games. But we need to have that head covering for ourselves as the source points out. And the Dharm 30B, the Dharm Lamed on the bed points out that the Mishnah states, he's permitted to derive benefit from those around him because the men are the ones that are called those with dark heads. What does that mean? What's the reason for this? Men sometimes cover their heads and sometimes uncover their heads. They can be called dark heads, since for the most part, they have dark hair, which is often uncovered, but women's heads are always covered, whether with the shaitel or the techel or the hat or whatever. Children's heads are always uncovered. I could tell you so many times my kids' kippahs are missing. I don't know where they are. The boys are five and seven. The girl is three and three months, Baruch Hashem. But the boys themselves, oftentimes, I don't know where their kippah is, also is missing in the abyss. I call it the abyss when things just go missing in the house. It's just somewhere in the abyss, somewhere in the stratosphere, somewhere in the atmosphere. You see the kid's head is uncovered. Why? Where is it? I don't know. Where is the kippah? But the expression dark heads refers to the men whose hair is sometimes seen, but oftentimes has to be covered because it is the obligation, the rabbinic Obligation to keep it covered. Gemara Kedushin points out, 33a, Lamed Gimel Amad Aleph. The Gemara cites an incident involving honor one demonstrates for his teacher. Once when Ravina was sitting before Rabbi Yirmiya of Diftin, a certain man passed before him and did not cover his head. Uh-oh. Ravina said, how rude, how rude, so rude, is this man who does not show respect by covering his head in honor of a rabbi? Where's the kavod? Where's the respect? Rabbi Yirmiyah of Difti said to him, perhaps he is from the city of Mata Mechasia, where rabbis are common, the Rabbanon are common, the people living there are consequently not as careful to display honor as those in other places. So if you're in a place of abundance of rabbis, you're according to the Gemara, if you're in a place where everybody knows that there's a lot of Torah and a lot of Yer Shemaim going around, maybe it could be that sometimes that one of the kippahs. But when we're traveling and about and we're in regular culture and regular society, we need to make sure we have our kippahs. It reminds us that Hashem is above. It reminds us that there's a king above, there's a heaven above, and it reminds us to act in accordance with that. In fact, let's see some sources from H.com how they explain it. David Rosenfeld points out on H.com is kippah from the Torah itself. There's no source for it in the Torah. It is not a Torah obligation, but the importance of having one's head covered is mentioned several times. In the Talmud itself, the most famous part is where we brought up in the Talmud in Shabbos in 156b. The mother of the future Torah scholar of Nachman bar Yitzchak was told by a soothsayer. We don't always give credence to them, but a lot of times the stories in the Talmud have, you know, metaphorical allusions and metaphorical things and have some agadic interpretations and sometimes they're just allegoric. But in any case, a lot of times we learn different things. So this soothsayer 
whoever this was, told her son, told her that her son would be a thief, a Ghana, a Goslin, whether by day or by night. Heeding this warning, heeding his warning, she instructed her son, as we talked about before, to always have his head covered, so that he will have the fear of heaven upon him. She also told him to pray for God's mercy. The son obeyed, though he never understood why this was so important to his mother. Why? Why, Mama? Why, Mama? Why, Ima? One day, Rav Nachman was sitting under a palm tree, studying Torah, and the top of his cloak slipped off his head. He was suddenly consumed with such an urge, such a desire, such a need to steal, that he immediately climbed the tree and bit off a cluster of dates. Such a need to steal, such a need to take that which was not his, and he ran up just to get the dates. One time, when his keep a covering came off when the cloak slipped off his head the urge for stealing the urge for geneva was so powerful so strong that he ran up the tree so on some level having this keeper for him at least and for us on a much different level could remind us to have that urge to remind us of working in a certain way composing ourselves in a certain manner and going about our lives in a certain manner if you feel like the keeper helps you if you feel like the keeper is a boundary is border patrol for keeping yourself in good conveyance to the mitzvos and keeping yourself in good tandem to hashem's will let us know email us at sheer enjoyment radio at gmail.com and you could call in and listen in and talk in when it's your turn if you email us at 520-453-8302. 520-453-8302 is our number. And you can email us at sheerenjoymentradio at gmail.com. So that's the passage from Talmud and Shabbos. A similar statement is found in Kedushan. We talked about Lamed Aleph. Lamed Aleph, that Rav Huna would never walk those Daladamas with his head uncovered since Hashem, the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, is above my head. And we talked about the Masech from the talks where you can't even participate in the synagogue services, in leading the synagogue, in the Shaliach Sibor, in being the one that is in charge of running the service with your head uncovered, Masech So having that kippah is so important. You can even have the tattered clothing or the crazy clothing, and it's not as important as having that kippah covering. You don't have the kippah covering, get out, get out for the bima, get off of that situated place, that straight place where you could talk to Hashem on behalf of the congregation, you got to have your head covered. Although such early sources imply that wearing a kippah is a laudable custom and not a strict obligation other than for Torah study and prayer, a number of more recent authorities argue that today it is much more akin to an obligation. You could see the Taz in the Mishnah Baruch and the Shulchan Aruch and the Yer and the Chavadad and Igrat Moshe and Tzitz Eliezer, but nowadays it's much more akin to an obligation. As a result, religious Jewish men universally keep their heads covered at almost all times. Obviously, I don't wear it to bed. Obviously, I don't wear it in the shower or in the pool. I don't want it to be destroyed. However, there's room for leniency in cases of great need. Such a person, such as a person would lose his job if he would keep his head covered, although I wouldn't want to live, work in such a place myself, the Igor Moshe is pointing out. But on a separate note, there's a common belief, interesting, for the Yiddish word for kippah, yarmulke, that it is a combination of the words yare malka. I'm sure you've heard this before, and if you did, let us know at shareandrumadradio.com. Yare malka, yarmulke, yare malka, yarmulke. A fearer of the king, being a combination of Hebrew and Aramaic, someone who fears the king, the one true God, the only God, Hashem himself, God himself, who created the world and gave us everything and constantly runs the world. Yare Malka, a fearer of the king, but this is not the belief of etymologists. Most likely is a popular myth, but a beautiful myth and a beautiful way of play on words. So we see that the kippah is something that is fundamental to our life and fundamental to our souls and how we go about in our life. And Rabbi Simmons points out on H.com, it's probably the most identifiable, most identifiable mark of a Jew themselves. In the Western world, it's customary to remove one's head covering when meeting an important person. In Judaism, putting on a head covering is a sign of respect. The nests of a Jewish head covering is hinted at in the blessing and the bracha we say every morning, thanking Hashem for crowning Israel with splendor. 
giving us the splendor, the Talmud points out in Brachos. The Talmud says that the purpose of wearing a kippah, as we mentioned in passing, is to remind us of Hashem, of God, the one true king who is the higher authority above us. As we saw in Kedushin, external actions create internal awareness. Wearing a symbolic, tangible, something above us reinforces that idea that Hashem is always watching. The kippah is a means to draw out one's inner sense of respect for God. Real respect for God, keeping the kippah above us, understanding what is above us, who is above us, and who controls everything in life. Respect for God. It's easy to remember Hashem while at the synagogue, while at the base Knesset, or at the base Medrash, the study hall, or around the Shabbos table in your house. But Jewish consciousness is meant to pervade all aspects of our lives, how we treat others, how we conduct business, how we look at the world. That's why the code of Jewish law is not only in the synagogue, it's not only in the study hall, it's not only at work, it's at every aspect of our entire life. We have Orachayim for the daily matters. We have Choshemish, but for the business matters. We have Evan of Ezra for the woman matters and different types of matters. And we have Yoridea for the different types of matters like meat and milk and slaughtering every aspect of life. And of course, there's also the Boadim and the holidays and all different things in our life. It's all governed and, and shown to us in the Jewish law of all aspects of our life because we don't just wear the kippah in the synagogue. We don't just keep Judaism in the shul, in the synagogue. We keep it everywhere at all times, wherever we go. So too, the kippah, the head covering is on us at all times, wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever we're involved in. Obviously, in cases that it can't work, such as with water, then we don't wear it. I will tell you, though, I when I wear it, and, I'm, and I've made them my kids, I'm involved in that time. Oftentimes, it falls out and it does get drenched and it does need to dry. Really can't be in water. Not really a functional thing. Maybe, I guess, for the laundry, but then you have to let it air dry. But in general, we need it to go where we go wherever we can, as often as we can, in most aspects of our life and how we go about the world. The Yiddish word for head covering, like I mentioned before, Yarmaka, is the Aramaic, Yaremalka, awe of the king, reverence for the king. The word kippah in Hebrew literally means dome. To wear a kippah is to proclaim, I am a proud Jew. You know that song by Benny Friedman? I am a proud Jew. And in his video, if you've seen it before, of course, many of them are wearing the kippah and they're going about and dancing and they're playing the chauffeur and it's a wonderful, wonderful video. There's a fascinating phenomenon whereby non-observant Jews visiting Israel will wear a kippah for the duration of their stay. It may be out of a sense that the entire land of Israel, the whole Eretz Yisrael is, a, is holy like a synagogue, like a base Knesset, or maybe it's the removal of any self-consciousness that can often accompany public expression of Jewishness in the diaspora. Indeed, wearing a kippah is a big statement, obligates the wearer to live up to a certain standard of behavior. A person has to think twice before cutting in line at the bank or berating an incompetent waiter. Wearing a kippah makes one a Torah ambassador and reflects on all Jews. The actions of someone wearing a kippah can create a kiddush Hashem, sanctifying God's name, or conversely, God forbid, a chilol Hashem, desecration of His name, which is very, very not good, very tragic, very disappointing. We don't want that. Of course, putting on a kippah does not automatically confer role model status, if you will. Sometimes we unfortunately hear of a religious person caught in some indiscretion. Unfortunately, sometimes we'll, we'll see that. The author talks about one time he was walking down the, bar, the boulevard, walking down the road in Los Angeles, noticing that a drunken and disheveled man was walking down the street wearing a kippah. He wasn't Jewish, but he'd found an old kippah and thought it helped him fit in with the neighborhood atmosphere. For the author, for us, it drives home the idea that it's not fair to judge Judaism based on someone displaying the outer trappings of observance. From the Torah perspective, only the Kohanim serving in the temple were required to cover their heads. They had that special hat. The Kohen Gadol had one, and the regular Kohanim, the regular priests had one. And you could look at Shemos to see that. Yet for many centuries, the obligatory custom has been for Jewish men to wear a kippah all the time. As the Code of Jewish Law says, as it says in the Shulchan Aruch, it is forbidden to walk that four cubits without a head covering. Does a kippah have to be worn while wearing sports? That's an issue that came out in the general public of Judaism with the publicity, especially surrounding Tamir Goodman in the past years, the basketball sensation who is very famous, who is an observant Jew, 
The answer to that is it is that it is preferable to wear even a small cape of pin to the hair. Velcro is awesome. If it is impossible because of game conditions or rules, it's okay to play without it. Ideally, you should wear one bathing or swimming. Obviously, don't wear it. A head covering is obligatory when engaged in tefillah and Torah study. What kind of head covering qualifies? Really, anything, including the baseball cap or a scarf tied around one's head. I have done that one time. I believe some of us have done different ways. You know, I if I need to cover my head with a sweatshirt or something, if I need to. In the synagogue, of course, in the base Knesset, it's more respectful, of course, to use a real kippah, a regular kippah. How large must a kippah be? Rabbi Moshe Feinstein says the minimum measure is that which would be called a head covering. Rabbi Vadi Yosef says the kippah should be large enough to be seen from all sides. The style of kippah worn can reflect an interesting sociological phenomena, often denoting a person's group affiliation. For example, yeshiva style wears a black velvet kippah oftentimes. Modern Orthodox Jews often wear a knitted colored kippah. Many Hasidic Jews wear a fur hat, a strimal, on Shabbos and holidays. Additionally, many also wear a hat when they pray to increase awareness of Hashem, of God, as they stand before Him. That comes from the Mishnah Baruch. What about instances where wearing a kippah conflicts with business and career interests? Rabbi Moshe Feinstein writes, in certain cases, there's room to be lenient. For example, a trial lawyer might not be properly serving his client if the jury will be distracted by the kippah. Of course, it can go both ways. A prominent businessman once explained that for every client lost because of the kippah, there were two clients gained who respected the display of integrity and courage in wearing the kippah. The story goes that Rav, Yitz, Rav Levi Yitzchak of Berdich once saw a man running. Where are you running to? The rabbi asked. The man answered, I have to get to my job. The rabbi retorted and answered, perhaps your livelihood is in the other direction and you're running away from it. For many, the question becomes, and we'll repeat this question again, to keep up or not to keep up. To keep up or not to keep up. That is the question. Ross Hirschman points out on H.com, many people have been wearing a kippah, but not their whole life in the right places. He wore a kippah, not just in the shul, not just in the synagogue, all the time, even in social situations. He didn't always wear it. For the first 36 years of life, he only wore it in the shul, in the synagogue, and even that was a rarity. The phenomenon of no kippah to everyday kippah is recorded by the reactions that are gotten from friends, family, and coworkers. It could be from, why are you wearing that? Cover your head, but why? Is it some kind of Jewish holiday again? Or it could be he's such a fanatic, or he wears it to hide his bald spot. If only people have thought about that years ago when they actually first got bald spots, it would have been a classic solution. But a great reaction, a subtle reaction, can come from a colleague whose eyes dart back and forth between the kippah and the face 50 times like happened to him during a five-minute conversation. The dilemma of the kippahness comes when confronting your first new work situation wearing the traditional Hebraic skullcap, as a co-worker deemed it. This involves meeting with someone outside your current company, and thus outside of the group who, you saw, who saw your slow transition from secular guy to religious guy. This talking from the author who slowly but surely came back to the full way of life in Judaism. Anyways, all the questions about the new practices and actually seemed interested in the answers. Now you're venturing beyond the safe zone out into the final frontier. This first contact for the author came while interviewing for a new job. This new job, this new venture, he was going and deciding what to do. He was coming to the interview, coming to the, the frontier, and what made it even more difficult was that it was a job he really wanted. He actually wanted. In other words, there was a lot at stake professionally. So now he had to make a choice. And if this ever happened to you as a male in the workplace, or even a female if you cover your hair with a shaitel or a tichel or anything, I wonder if you're coming to an interview, did it ever happen? Did you have to make this choice? Did you feel that there was someone looking at you and judging you. Let us know. Sheer enjoyment. Radio at gmail.com. 520 I'd love to know if this happened to you at your interview, at your coming to trying to find a job. I will tell you, when I came to the Board of Ed, of course, I work for the Board of Ed. I'm an OT for the city. When I came to my interview indoors, I wore my kippah. And each time I came to a new school, if I had to interview, I wore my kippah. 
But when I'm outside traveling, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, of the radio show and the lecture, I wear the hat when traveling on purpose for safety reasons. I was often put in very difficult, very dangerous areas, especially because I got a scholarship to pay for OT school, for grad school, for occupational therapy school. So when you pay back the the scholarship they give you, they give you two years of tuition, which is no small chunk of change. You know, if OT school is 120, that means they're giving us about 80. And then you have to pay them back, meaning you have to work where they tell you to go work in, in bad neighborhoods and high need areas and high risk areas. They give you a salary thing on in the benefits, but you have to work where they tell you. So I was in East New York. I was in bed styles in Brownsville, very bad areas of Brooklyn, the projects, if you will. So when I'm walking around those areas, and even now, a little better when I was in my most recent school in Jamaica, now in my site in, in Middle Village, when I'm walking out and about, I like the hat outside. But in the school, in the site, I will wear the kippah because I'm a standing ambassador of Hashem. I'm a standing ambassador of the Jewish people, but I'm walking out and about. Who knows who's out on the streets? Who knows if they're dangerous, if they're all there, if they're mentally fit? Or if they're stable, we don't need added fuel to the flames. So when you come for the interview, you come for the job, what did you do before we continue the story? Let me know. You could weigh in. You could email at sheerenjoymentradio at gmail.com. You could send us a message at sheerenjoymentradio at gmail.com on a G-chat. And then we could get you on the phone line, 520-453-8302. 520-453-8302. So this guy comes to his new job. He comes and he has just been transitioning, coming more Judaic in his life, becoming more Jewish in his life, if you will. So the question was what to do. It was a job he actually wanted. There was a lot of stake professionally. So the choice was, does he wear the kippah to work to the interview if it's going to put him in a negative way? Or should he wear the kippah so they can get the real aspect and see the real deal of what he really stands for? So does he wear or does he not wear to keep or not to keep her, that's the question. So the author asked his wife what a great response. Well, she said, if you're afraid that your new prospective boss may not like Jews or religious people in general, it's better to find out in the interview stage rather than after you're working for them. What if you hide the keeper, you get the job, and then you, and then Rosh Hashanah comes, and Yom Kippur comes, and Sukkot comes. You have to take off all these days. Why do you have to take off all these days? Why don't you work like everyone else? Well, I'm Jewish. If you're Jewish, why don't you wear your kippah? Why don't you show me that you're Jewish? It's going to come stick you later on anyway. I'd rather also lay it all out on the on the bases, lay the cards out on the table when I first meet the school or principal. And my interview is wearing the kippah. They see what they get. They see I'm a religious Jew. That was the decision I would make also. So when his wife told him, Better to see at the interview stage rather than later when you're working for them. With that, his decision was made and he would keep up. So he comes to the interview a few minutes early. He checks on his wardrobe. He's looking the same as he looked at all job interviews except for the circular edition of the keep on his head. It's there. It's nice. It's clean. It's tasteful. He wouldn't go without it to say without a tasteful kippah, but it was a statement, a big statement to his employer. So in the restroom, he's hesitating and he's thinking, should I take the keeper off? Should I leave the keeper on? I know my wife said, just get it over with, let them know. But really, maybe I should take it off. Maybe, you know. In the end, he realized not wearing the keeper would be an even bigger statement, a statement about denial of who he is, a Jew, a religious Jew. So for him, for us, going in without a keeper would be a statement that I'm less than fully committed to those ideas around which I base my life. So he went in with the tasteful keeper. So he meets the guy, he meets the prospective employee, he greets him and shakes his hand. No eyes darting from the keeper to him, no jaw hanging down like in the cartoons. Just a nice, hello, assuming he's British, hello. Early in the interview, he asks, what are you passionate about? So when someone asks a question like that, how would you answer? So the author answers, in business or in life in general. So the boss answers, life in general. So... The author thinks, and the guys here, if you're at this interview, what would you answer? You could think about it for a second. Should you be honest? Should you tell him what really animates you, what really motivates you in life? Or give him the stock corporate answer, a job well done and sacrifice for the company is what makes me tick. Is that what we should say? Should we just suck it up and pretend and and um, and just um, patter down the boss so he feels good? This person opted for the former. Whatever, he already saw the keeper. Might as well be honest. Let's go for it. My passions are God, family, community, and work in that order. 
He tried to soften the blow. Probably not what a manager wants to hear, but don't, don't misunderstand me. I work hard and take my job seriously, but it's a matter of priorities. He looked for the response, any sign of shock or noticeable disappointment, but there was none. He simply smiled and continued the interview. They really clicked. The interview went great. But he was very much wondering what the prospective boss thought of the answer to the first question. So he asked him point blank. When he was asked if there are any questions for him from the boss, he said, I have one. What are you, what are you passionate about in life? Well, he said, smiling, it's funny. As I listened to you answering that question... I felt as if I was hearing myself answer it myself, the boss said. So that was a good answer to say. He got the job shortly after. In the end, going to the interview with Akiba, answering the questions in an honest but not politically correct way was not a heroic act. It's not like people who survived the Holocaust or people that did combat missions during World War II. Those are real heroes. But still, wearing that Kippa to the interview could be a bold statement. You take a stand for something you believe in. It becomes clear to you that if you are a religious Jew, but only in private, then what, if anything, are you really? If you never take a stand on anything, then you really stand for nothing. It's a very famous quote. If you never take a stand on anything, then really you stand for nothing. And the kippa shows us that you stand for the religious aspect of life, standing for what your ideals are, what you believe in in life. You're standing for that, and you can stand out from candidates and get the job. Richard Rapkin points out on H.com, the first time he wore his kippah outside of a shul in Canada, he was petrified. He just got back from Israel, where he became religious, where kippahs were very common, almost as common as cellular phones. But they came back to Vancouver, which apparently is a beautiful place, supposedly Hallmark uh, Films there. I didn't have the courage. He didn't have the courage to start wearing the kippah. There were many reasons. He didn't have the courage to stand up to questioning friends and family. He didn't have the courage to be that model Jew and have the actions judged because of the kippah. He didn't have the courage to make the statement that wearing a kippah makes. But that first Shabbos in Vancouver, he was informed that one is not allowed to carry anything on Shabbat. There's an idea. If you don't have an Arab, if you're in a city that doesn't have an Arab, in the absence of that, which didn't exist, you cannot carry anything so you have to wear the keeper you can't put it in the cop and you can't put it in the pocket and walk home so what was he going to do in an hour walk home he's not going to wear it for an hour what would people think of him he didn't have too many options he thought about sprinting home so fast that people couldn't see him and they would just see a cat-like figure rushing by which wouldn't give them time to see who it was but he realized that he was not at all cat-like could probably sprint for maybe a block before falling to the ground in convulsions i i hear that I understand that. I can't even run so much anymore. Too much out of shape. I try to walk every day, but I understand that. So what he decided to do was bite the bullet, walk all the way home wearing his keeper. During that walk home, he thought he must have looked like an escaped mental patient or a convict with a serious case of paranoia. When someone walked by him, I would, he would think to himself, what are you looking at? Are you looking at my keeper? What's wrong with you? Have you ever seen a Jewish person before? Racist pig. Actually, the person walking towards him was probably thinking to himself, this man approaching me looks like he is addicted to crack. I hope he doesn't beat me up. Because he was so worried, so paranoid about what everyone was was thinking about him. They say actually in life, when you think that 100% of people are looking at you, really it's 80% wrong. Maybe 10 to 20% of people are actually looking at you. People are involved in their own life. People are involved in their own thing. If you ever look at people on the train, I say this often, if you ever look at people on the subway or the train or walking about, is there ever a person not looking and staring at their phone, just aimlessly scrolling up and down, up and down, left and right, left and right? People are always scrolling. People are always involved with their phones. They are like terrified to be involved in real life. Even on the subway, people don't make eye contact. They don't talk to each other. They're doing their own thing. Gone was the time where people would actually talk to each other. People who were strangers could become best friends if they just met each other on the train, met each other in person. In fact, I was in Shul the other night, and someone came over to me and said, I haven't seen you before. What's your name? And we struck up a wonderful conversation. Now we're good friends. Found out he works for the DOE also. But that wouldn't happen in public transit. Why? Because everyone's glued to their phones and everyone's paranoid about being left alone. You have to be aimlessly on Instagram or TikTok or Pinterest or WhatsApp or what or what's that or what's that what's this. People can't be involved. So here he's walking around. In general, though, people are not looking at you as much as you think, but it might feel that way when you're trying something for the first time. 
As the months and years went on, he got more comfortable wearing the kippa and started wearing it almost all the time. When he applied to summer internships at law firms in Vancouver, he didn't wear his kippa to the interviews. Who's going to hire me if I'm wearing a kippa, he asked himself. Despite the fact that Canada is probably the most multicultural, tolerant country in the world, he still couldn't do it. But he discovered there were problems with not wearing a kippa at work. Since the co-workers had no reason to think he was different, the first day at the firm, they took him out for lunch to a restaurant called The Spotted Prawn. Does that sound like a Jewish restaurant to you? Does that sound like a kosher restaurant to you? Has this ever happened to you where people at your work, people at your job, your place of business, they don't know that you're Jewish. They don't know you keep kosher and they order from a non-kosher place. If that's happened to you, you could weigh in and let me know. Radio at gmail.com and our number 520-453-8302. Oftentimes people forget that I'm in the building. So many times in my previous school, so many times they would offer from Panera Bread. Panera Bread is not kosher, man. Panera Bread is not Jewish, man. Why do you keep ordering from that place? I cannot eat anything from there. You're ordering from this school, but you're not being helpful or you're not being um, nice. I can't think of the word offhand, but you're not... You're not um, complying to help out with the Jewish co-workers. You know, I'm not the only one. There is um, another worker. She is religious and Jewish. Even another worker in administration who is religious and Jewish. And I don't know why they keep ordering. They must have an account with a discount because otherwise it doesn't make sense. If someone in admin in themselves are religious and Jewish and you're not getting anything kosher, it doesn't make sense. Whatever. But in general, it's a problem. If they don't know that you're there, obviously I wear my kippah. They just might not remember that I'm there. But the person here, they didn't even realize he was Jewish. So they take him to something called the Spotted Prawn. I can tell you from a fact, just by the name of the restaurant, there is no way that is Jewish. Since they had no reason to think he is Jewish, they took him to this place. While all the co-workers ordered various shellfish dishes, completely trafe, completely non-kosher, forbidden to him, he wanted to ask the chef if they can make him a special dish, like perhaps roasted water with a side dish of sliced water seasoned in water. Instead, he ended up ordering a salad, but he knew he was still compromising his kosher standards, his standards of kosher. From then on, it was bag lunches for him. For professional and spiritual reasons, he decided to move to Toronto. With the previous keeper wearing difficulties under the belt, he knew to go to his Toronto interview with the keeper. His first interview was in a downtown firm that was really interesting. He got in the elevator, which was to take him to the 45th floor, a little nervous about the keeper thing, but forging on with courage. He noticed another guy in the elevator wearing a kippah as well. He felt immediately relieved. They struck up a conversation. He told him which law firm he was interviewing at. Oh, that is a great firm, he said. Congratulations on getting an interview there. He paused for a second, then continued, I should warn you, I've heard they don't really like it if people wear their yarmulkes to work. His heart sank into the pit of his stomach. It was... He wasn't sure if it was because of hearing the news or because the elevator came to an abrupt landing on the 45th floor. Kaplunk! He exited cautiously, looked both ways as if he was going to set off the keepa alert alarm. Keepa alert, keepa alert, keepa alert. He turned to the man in the elevator and thanked him for the advice. No problem, he said while stepping out of the elevator as well. Good morning, Mr. Rothstein, the receptionist said to the friend in the elevator. Your 9 o'clock appointment is here. To see you, the elevator buddy, a partner at this firm, winked at him and laughed. <laughs> Good luck in the interview. <laughs> Come by my office when you're done if you get the chance. <laughs> the interview went well. He could see the decision to where a keeper was paying off already. Some of the lawyers told him without him asking that they would have no problem observing Shabbos at the firm, even in the winter months when Shabbos begins early. The firm also wanted to take him out for dinner, but they offered to set up a get-together in the office so that he could not have to order that roasted water. He didn't have to explain himself the keep or any of that. 
once the keeper was on, they knew where he stood. It was a symbol to know where he stood. And the internal religious thoughts and feelings had to be reflected by the external actions. You may think that it was neurotic to be so overly worried about the keeper dilemma, but once you put that on your head, you're making the statement. It's a statement to yourself and others, to Judaism and the Jewish people in the world at large about the Jewish identity and to go with it. And even age.com points out from Akiva Taubenblatt that it's like a wedding ring in some ways. The simple ring is a simple reminder of commitment and values in life. You feel connected without it, but the ring really makes a difference. There are four aspects that it represents. It's commitment, trust, love, and pride. Wearing that ring, like the kippah, symbolizes the comp- the commitment they're always there for the other person no matter what to try to help out and to be committed forever truth to remember and wear that to say i am trustworthy i trust you your faith in me is on my mind and the ring is a constant reminder to overcome anything that comes my way loyal forever love the wedding ring explains and shows the emotion that you are there you are more than anything else in the world and that's what we're doing with the keeper to hashem and the pride wearing it shows i am proud to be married. I am proud to be Jewish, the keeper chose to us. Makes me want to announce it to the world. This simple piece of cloth shows the world and reminds us of commitment and values. It shows us and reminds us Hashem is there. We love Hashem. We love God. We're committed to God. We're loyal to God. I'm trustworthy. I've trusted you, Hashem. I know you have faith in me. And the keep us a reminder to help me get over anything that comes in my life and comes in my way. I cherish the relationship with you, Hashem. This keeper reminds me, I love you more than anything in the world, Hashem. It's an announcement that I'm so proud to be connected to you, Hashem. Nothing makes me more happy to know I'm connected to you, Hashem. And that is the device of the keeper as well. And Yonatan Levy points out on Aisha as well. We're not born with the keeper. We're not born singing Hava, Nagila, Hava, which is for some reason the only Jewish song that any movie or any reference ever has. And it doesn't make any sense because I, I don't know. Any wedding I'm at, they don't play that song. We play lots of great songs by Issa Black and, and Benny Friedman and Eighth Day, all these wonderful songs, Mordechai Shapiro, but not this one, which is somewhat very Jewish for some reason. But when you put on that cov- that uh, the keeper, you are showing the world that you have that yamaka. It reminds us, even though it sounds like a Japanese company, Yamaha, Yamaka, in real life, you wear that to show that we are distinguishing ourselves from those around us. Wearing the kippah shows us it's an act of piety. It reminds us to live a Torah life, a Jewish life. Don't walk those four cubits without it. And it has wonderful, wonderful aspects to it. And it shows us and reminds us of being involved in a life with Hashem. It is a symbol. It reminds us that we are connected to Hashem. We're involved with Hashem. And an interesting thing is, by the way, why doesn't anyone do any symbols on them? I was reading this article talking about how really advertising space would be fantastic to put on it. It could be a Jew commercial, they call it, or it could be Bobby's Billboard or Aleichem Advertising. Very interesting to think about. We've got you covered would be a great slogan, but I don't think people have done that yet, but still an interesting thing to think about. And Jeff Astro points out on H.com, when you have the kippah, when you have it and you're wearing it, it, it symbolizes to other people what you stand for. So he once got jury duty and he comes all the way to the courthouse and he comes and, and he wants to see how he'll get out of jury duty. Many people have different reasons to get out of it. Some people want to do jury duty. Some people don't want to do jury duty. But he comes and he thinks about how he should get out of it. But he wasn't wearing a, a kippah. He wasn't wearing a yarmulke at the time. Sometimes he wears it. Sometimes he'll put it on when he goes in different places. But wearing a, a kippah to get out of jury duty didn't work. He didn't think it would work because he wasn't ready to make that commitment. So when it gets to the courtroom, someone else is wearing a black velvet kippah with sitzes. And he thinks to himself, man, this guy really wants to get out of jury duty because he's thinking if he's a religious observant Jew, maybe he won't be unbiased. So he goes into the courtroom and he sees that he's wearing a hat. He's not wearing a kippah at the time, but at least he's wearing a hat. And the guy says he's the guard and he has a gun and a stern voice, no hats in the courtroom, take off your hat. So... He's wearing a kippah at the moment. He's wearing it for now, even though he wasn't wearing it all the time. But now he was wearing it, and he was taking off the hat. He didn't want to want to show everybody he's wearing it, but he had to take off the hat. So when he takes off the hat, there is a kippah that was on his head from that time he was praying an hour earlier. He was walk. He's walking to the courtroom, and he's thinking about how to get out of jury duty. 
so he didn't think he had to get out of it. And the the as as divine providence would have it, he was picked for the jury. For the next week, he became the alternate juror number two, or as everyone else would see him, the guy with the yarmulke. And he didn't feel so good about it. So the judge talks about how they're going to take a break, how they're going to take a recess, and he's going to try to take a low profile. So when he goes out, he puts back on his hat and he comes back in and they ask him to take off the hat again. So he was wearing the keeper again in the in the in the jury box and they ask him that when he comes to the jury box he's wearing the the keeper and they're going through different motions, they're going through different things and he sees that other people are coming to him and they say that when when they when he took off his hat they were surprised to see that he was wearing a keeper. And they and he asked the other person, "Are you Jewish?" I said, "No, Catholic." But I liked seeing that you were a keeper. It means that'd be someone smart on the jury. So you didn't think it was dumb to ask about different questions? No, he said that wasn't great. But in, in general, I know that they the Jews that I find they tend to be very smart, which is very interesting because when you're wearing a keeper, different expectations are involved, different standards are involved. And he ended up liking the jury duty. He ended up liking to be involved, but it's interesting to think that when you have such a thing, when you have the keeper, there are different standards involved, there are different expectations that come with it. If you've had this also in your life, that when you're wearing a keeper, you see these expectations, you've met these expectations, let me know. Sheer enjoyment. Radio at gmail.com, 5204-538302. We're coming to our last story here in the keeper part of the lecture, and we could take some questions and comments for the last few minutes afterwards. But let's see this last story from Nissan Safran, who's an excellent writer on H.com. I can taste those burgers already, Josh said as he poured the coals into the hibachi. His cousin Greg had come to visit from out of town, and to celebrate the occasion, the boys were making a barbecue in Josh's backyard. Are those marshmallows already? They're ready, because they look like they are ready, and they're going to melt in my mouth. Josh Eddis, he adjusted the visor of the cool official Major League Baseball cap that Greg had brought him as a special souvenir gift from his hometown ballpark. Hand me the matches, okay? I want those marshmallows to ready melt in my mouth and melt even more. Greg did, but as Josh took them from his hand, he noticed that the ends of his cousin's fingers were all red, shriveled and bleeding. Hey, what happened? What do you mean, Greg asked. Your fingers, man, they look like raw hamburgers over there. Oh, that, you know, I like to bite my nails and hang nails. I used to do it a little. Now I do it a lot. Doesn't look too good. Why do you do that? Greg shrugged. Don't. I just like it. So what? Because it's messing up your body. That's why your body is a gift from God. Exactly. It's a gift to me so I can do whatever I want with it, Greg said, chumming on his fingers to make the point. Now, are you going to ever light that barbecue? Should I bring the peanut butter? We'll call it a day. Josh struck a match, which immediately blew out. And another and another. It's too windy. Josh Side. Even when they get to the coals, they just blow out right before the fire can catch. Yeah, Greg agreed. You know what, Camp? They poured on lighter fluid just to get the fire started easily. Great idea. Hmm, let's see. Josh looked around, scratched his head, then smiled. I know just the thing. Josh took the baseball cap off his head, and Greg looked down in horror. He put down on top of the unlit car chuckles and picked up the book of matches. Hey, what are you doing? I'm doing like you said. This cap should burn easily, and then the charcoal will catch on fire, too. He struck the match. Wait, Greg yelled. You can't do that. Why not? I gave you that cap as a gift. Exactly. It's a gift to me, so I can do whatever I want with it. Now, where did I hear that before? Josh said with a smile as Greg's face turned as red as his fingertips. Okay, but I gave it to you to wear. Not torch, he paused, and I guess God gave me my body, including my fingers, to take care of and not mess up either, right? Josh nodded his head as he put the cap back on. You weren't really going to like that cap, were you? Greg asked. Whether yes or no, I'm much happier, and your body will be too, that you caught the spark of light instead. So when we think of the kippah, when we think of the head covering, the yarmulke, yarimalka, we think that God is above us. We think that Hashem is with us, and Hashem is above us wherever we go, whatever we do, whether you're going to an interview or you're going to work. You keep that kippah on. You should keep it on in your life. It should be reminiscent. And it should give you cognition to remember and to think about how Hashem is with us. If you've ever been to an interview, if you've ever been to work, you've ever been anywhere where they looked at you, keep a stranger, they looked at you strangely, you can still message me for our last two minutes at sheeradjoymentradio at gmail.com. Our number, of course, is 520-453-8302. Talking about the covering, the head coverings, and why we do so. Talking about how we walk around as ambassadors of Hashem, ambassadors of the Jewish people trying to do good in this world, trying to make a difference in this world, trying to light up the world with goodness. Wearing that kippah symbolizes 
to us what we stand for, that we are the Jewish people, that we are princes and nobility from Hashem. Reminds us to remember the Yomar to remember the fear of God, to remember we have different standards, to remember that we have a code of Jewish law, a code of conduct to stand up to. And I've been asked before what it stands for, and now we have a whole explanation from different sources throughout the Tanakh from different stories from Asia and, and different stories from around that could point out to us. So if you were at work and you ever had someone look at you with the crazy eyes for wearing it, or you ever had an interview and someone looked at you with a strange way, you could still message us at sheerenjoymentradio at gmail.com. Our number is 520-453-8302. The idea is to keep up talking some topics for the week with the audience to keep what we're trying here to do on Tiny Talks Radio. Of course, we're hosted by Sheer Enjoyment Radio with a wonderful website at sheerenjoyment.com with quality rebuttal, quality hosts, quality content, quality sheer. We are powered by radio.co, the easiest way to make an internet radio station. It's so simple. You set it up, you download it, you download the broadcaster. You can be hosted live and you can be broadcasted live to those around you. We are here on Tani Talks Radio. Our email address is sheerenjoymentradio at gmail.com. Our call in line is 520-453-8302. And that wraps it up for this week, talking about the yarmulke, covering your head, but why? God willing, next week we'll talk some different topics here on Tani Talks Radio. We're hoping to connect to another channel as well, to spread the message as well. And God willing, afterwards we'll upload the radio episode as a podcast episode as part of the Tani Talks Live show. And this is Tani Talking Radio, here on Monday nights at 8 30. Thank you so much for joining us. Our Gmail address is sheerenjoymentradio at gmail.com and our number is 520-453-8302. Thank you so much for joining us. God willing, we'll see you next week where we talk some topics for the week with the audience to keep. Have a wonderful night. Thank you and take care.